Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number two of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips, and I've got a good show for you today. In just a bit, I'm going to be joined by Jack Clark from the Home of the Hurt, a blog about the Mets, and we're going to talk State of the Union with the franchise. Jack and I are also going to recap the NBA draft and set the stage for free agency this summer, including our predictions for where LeBron James is going to take his talents this year. That's coming up in our opening tip, which is next, so settle in and enjoy. Y'all ready for this? All right, and we're back with today's opening tip, which is all about the NBA draft and a look ahead to the NBA offseason. But, but first, let me introduce my latest guest, who is the author of the Home of the Hurt blog and hosts the podcast of the same name. It's Jack Clark. Jack, how are you today? Great, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate uh, that nice little introduction. Like you said, Home of the Hurt blog. That's homeofthehurt.wordpress.com. You can find the podcast on there. It's also under Jack Clark on SoundCloud. All right, Jack, before we get started, tell us, tell us a little about yourself. All right, well, like we said, we're going to talk about NBA. I'm a Knicks fan. I have been a Knicks fan since I became a fan of the sport. I've, I've really always been a fan of three main sports for me, which are baseball, football, and basketball. Hockey is uh, on the outskirts for me. I, was an Island, I am an Islanders fan. I used to be really big into them. I'm from Long Island, New York, personally. After they lost, left the Coliseum, that kind of... Uh, pulled me away a little bit as a fan but uh, I'm also a fan of the New York Mets and the New York Jets so you know if you add those four teams up I've never seen a championship in my life so you've done plenty of suffering too yep absolutely you know I you fit right in yep. you know the Islanders are coming back is that gonna make you uh restart your fandom there yep absolutely I I never I don't want to say I left I, I never gave up on the Islanders the thing was that I just used to be able to go to so many games and go out there because it was so close to me, and I felt like that was one of my favorite teams at the time when they were still there. After they left, I felt sort of like empty because I couldn't go to the games. I used to watch them on TV, and the team itself has suffered since they left. I personally am still a fan, and I'm really hoping that John Tavares ends up coming back, but you know that's, that's, that's something we could talk about at another time. Yeah, let's get back on topic here. Let's talk about the draft. I mean, the draft was a little bit disappointing because there weren't a ton of big storylines coming out of it. I personally thought this would be a Kawhi Leonard trade at the draft. That didn't come. I think the biggest story for me is what the Knicks did at 9. What are your thoughts about the whole choice of Kevin Knox at 9? I like I like the Kevin Knox pick. I know that a lot of, as the draft progressed, the thought of Michael Porter Jr. kept creeping back in Knicks fans' heads, and they realized that this was legitimately a possibility that he was going to fall to us I think before the draft we didn't really know uh, I think that people still kind of had this idea that Trey Young was there and I, I personally did I like Trey Young I wanted Trey Young I thought he was realistically someone that the Knicks could have got I, excuse me he got he got a lot of traction in the draft he moves up and they don't have a chance at him and then you realize that Porter who originally was supposed to be the number one pick I mean, when he was coming into college, that was supposed to be his spot. He falls, he's there, but I we don't take him. The Knicks don't take him, they take Knox. I like Knox, he's really young. The thing with Porter is the injury. You don't know what to expect from him. I understand that he could have sat out for the whole season, understanding that Porzingis is not probably going to play next year either, but I like Knox. He's a young kid. 
He's under from under Calipari. Calipari produces great talent coming into the NBA, and I mean, you just look at how young Knox is and how much he still has to grow. I think he's a good fit for the Knicks. I'm glad you brought the Calipari thing up because I I was originally against this pick because I was one of those people driving the Michael Porter bandwagon, but I found a great list since Calipari has taken over Kentucky in 2009. He's produced a lot of lottery picks. Here's a list of the guys that I'm going to run by you that were taking the top 10 after Calipari came. Ready for this? Go ahead. I want to hear it. Okay. John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Ennis Cantor, Brandon Knight, Anthony Davis, Michael K. Gilchrist, Nerlens Noel, Julius Randle, Carl Anthony Towns, Willie Cauley-Stein, Jamal Murray, De'Aaron Fox, and now Knox. Those are all guys from Kentucky taking the top 10 under Cal. That's a pretty good list. Yeah, that's over I mean, that's over 10 guys, and you look at the talent on that list that you just heard me off. I mean, John Wall, Cousins, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, some of those names like really stick out to you. Those guys are top-tier talents in the NBA. So obviously, like I said, I mean, a guy that comes from under Calipari, you know that he's got potential. He's got the potential to be good. I think the one thing that worries me is he is so young, but I I don't know if I should worry about that because with the way the uh, college to the NBA now is with these one-and-done players, he'll have a lot of time to develop. Like I said, he's still got so much time to like physically grow as a kid, you know, not like not only like mentally, emotionally, but physically, he's still going to grow into his body. Hopefully he's pans out to be one of those other guys, you know, those top tier talent guys. Yeah. Hopefully he's more, uh, more of a Willie call, not Willie Cole Stein or a Michael Gilchrist. Hopefully he's more towards the top tier of that list. Right. But let's go back to uh, Michael Porter Jr. Who, became one of the big stories of the draft because of how he slid because of the back injury he had in college. He didn't really work out for teams. Nobody really could get his medicals. He ends up in Denver at pick 14. I think it's a great spot for him. How about you? I agree. I think that the slide was somewhat war- – it was warranted, the slide. You know, um, Like I said, when he was going into school and then you were getting ready for him to be playing at Mizzou, everyone was – really high on him and obviously that's even before the NBA draft is really a thought but he was supposed to be the number one pick this injury really sets him back I it does worry me a little bit but I think that being outside of a big market should help him now he doesn't have to worry so much about the media bugging him and and setting these lofty standards for him he can just sit out Again, like he sat out for the whole college season. He played a couple games, but now he can just sit out an NBA season for like for sure be healthy and hopefully make an impact and become a, a star NBA player. I mean, I think fans would like to see him be a really good player. Yeah, people don't know this, but Denver is building something really good out there. I mean, they got Jamal Murray and they got Gary Harris on the outside. They got Wilson Chandler playing ahead of Porter, who can take his time developing. They got Nurkic, who's a very intriguing center. I feel like they could be a force in like two, three years. Absolutely. I mean, it's always going to be tough in the West, but you know, still, I think that, like you said, they got a good core of players there. So, you hope for their sake. I mean, it's not like being in New York, a Denver team like Denver is one that you look at and say, I don't want them to succeed. I look at Michael Porter Jr. and I want him to be good. The kid falls. I mean, you consider the fact that he's making a lot of money still, but he misses out on a lot, a lot of money with that fall, like falling in the draft. 
So you just hope that you don't want to see such a true and good talent suffer an injury like that and then have it plague him for the rest of his career. All right, let's go to a different area. Let's talk about the best value picks of the draft. Who is your take for who you think got the best value in the first round? I know this one is maybe a little maybe people look at it outlandish but I really liked the pick of Lonnie Walker from Miami to the Spurs I just think that Lonnie Walker like a lot of other players in the draft a lot of the knocks on him were that just basic stuff uh, that you'll have associated with kids coming out of college you know they they sometimes get lazy on defense or 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 have mental lapses on defense on offense they seem lost without the ball these are the things that made him drop because he was one that considered what could be, could have been considered at nine for the Knicks. I think that Kevin Knox is still the right pick there at nine, but Lonnie Walker has the talent to be a lottery pick. And I think he's going to prove that because with being in San Antonio, I think it's just going to be, a, I, it's a great fit for any player. I don't see how going to San Antonio could be a bad thing. And I think he has all the talent in the world. He's going to, flourish in that system oh yeah playing for Popovich is a great set for any young player my guy is actually uh Mo Wagner who went down 25 to the Lakers as I'm a big big 10 guy so I've seen a lot of him over the last three years the leap he took from his sophomore year to his junior year was incredible because he improved his rebound by three points a game he's a perfect fit for the modern NBA he's a stretch four he shoots 39 percent from three he's long lanky I mean his defense still needs work but he can contribute right away to the Lakers and be a valuable player for them yeah I agree I think that Wagner really he's a he's a guy that by staying in college much longer he was able to like grow into his body a little more like we were talking about what we're expecting from Knox he was able to grow into the body and grow as a player and like you said he made substantial leaps and bounds from his sophomore to junior year I mean he got the great tournament experience as well and he killed it in that NCAA tournament for Michigan so I think I, I like that as a value pick, especially real late in the draft. And you look at uh, you look at what the Lakers got out of Kuzma from last year, a late pick in the draft. Oh, yeah, for sure. By the way, how weird was that Mikel Bridges situation where, I mean, Philadelphia picks him at 10. He's on stage with his mom being interviewed. His mom is crying about how excited she is to see him, see her son play for the team every day. And then about 20 minutes later, he's traded to the, to the Suns for Zaire Smith and a future one. How weird was that? I mean – uh, just watching it, it was it was nice. Like when that happened, when he when he got to sit down with the interview with his mom, and I th- I don't think I mean to the casual fan, no one or to most fans, no one knew that all of a sudden you learn his mom's part of the team, and and you look at how excited she is to have him play there with, and he was really excited to go there and be there with his mom. And then you're right when it comes out a little bit later that he gets traded, it was a little awkward. And I think it would have been fun if they the coverage kind of got back to him and asked his mom about how they felt but I, I think it was probably a smart move on them to not reopen that wound for her yeah that could have been a train wreck like what like what happened to Colin Sexton like with the whole like oh hey LeBron you gotta play with me points oh I think that that for Colin Sexton I actually think that I think he is an outspoken individual and you see I mean you see the video of him uh it, it re-upped again the video of him on the free throw line waiting for the rebound and the guy's staring at him he stares right back at him he's not someone that is soft-spoken per se but those comments felt like so forced like it was a reality tv show and and i forget who was doing the interview but it was like almost like they took him 
grabbed him by the shoulder before the interview and was like, all right, please give us some sort, some something for LeBron here. And I, I mean, I, I think that he obviously wants LeBron to be there. Oh, why would you? But it just felt forced. I mean, LeBron has come out and said before that he's not interested in mentoring these young guys anymore. He, you know, he, he's, he's done it a million times. There was the... Um, I can't remember. I don't want to mess it up. But again, <laughs> he's 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 come out and said it. I think we were talking about it the other day, right? That wasn't it Shabazz Napier when he went with the Heat? Yeah, Shabazz, they took Shabazz Napier back in the uh, 2014 draft, right before his free agency. Everybody was saying, oh, LeBron made the pick. LeBron is going to stay in the Miami. And then a month later, bye. <laughs> right. So I think he said that he doesn't. he's not interested in doing that. Though I think that someone like Colin Sexton is – that's a sexy pick for LeBron. Like, I think that he would want to play with Sexton. Though, again, I think it would fit It would fit LeBron well because I think LeBron could – he still needs pieces other than Colin Sexton. I don't think Colin Sexton is the piece that brings him back to Cleveland. I just think that LeBron uh, – Colin Sexton is a good fit with LeBron because Colin Sexton doesn't need the ball in his hands all the time, and I think LeBron obviously does. All right. Now we brought LeBron. Quickly, where do you think he's going this year? I think he's going to the Lakers, but I actually predicted that he would stay in Cleveland. I think it's hard to tell. I mean, I think it's on Friday later this week. He gets to decide whether he's going to opt out. I think he's definitely going to opt out. It's whether or not he resigns with Cleveland. I mean, he's got a pretty penny worth of money to opt into if he wanted to. But I think that he's going to opt out, really put the pressure on the Cavaliers to wow him and bring in a star, star player, maybe a couple star players. I would like to see. I think that I just think it's either Los Angeles because of his connections there and the fact that, you know, he has houses out there already. His family wants to be there, but also Cleveland because that's his hometown. That's where he's from. And I don't think that he wants to tarnish his legacy even though he could probably care less what people think about him realistically. But you know there are still those naysayers and the people that think that it tarnishes his legacy a little bit to leave, uh, especially a second time now. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's tough with LeBron. So you don't know what his motivation is because he already has three championships. We know he wants to be like a big like star after his career is over. I mean, he's already got a production company, so that could be a motivation to go to L.A. But at the same time, like, what elite, elite player has changed teams three times in the prime of his career besides Shaq? I can't think of one. Can you? Mm, no, Shaq's a good one. That's. I mean, I would, I would want to be like Shaq. Shaq's a good name to be uh, in the same conversation as. But you're right. I I think that he doesn't want to. He doesn't want that on his on his conscience. He doesn't want people to associate him with that. All right, that was that was a fun segment. There, stay tuned. We're going to talk about the Mets right after this. <laughs> All right, and we're back talking New York Mets baseball with Jack Clark, author of the Home of the Hurt blog and host of the podcast with the same name. Now, before we came on the air today, some big news broke from the Mets about the future of general manager Sandy Alderson. Alderson announced that he is taking a leave of absence from the team due to a recurrence of his cancer and that the big shock out of all this was the fact that he said that he wasn't even sure he'd return to his post after the after the treatment is hopefully successful and first of all we're all praying for sandy we hope that he has a full recovery and lives many more years after this but jack what was your reaction when you heard the news same as what you just said right away just hoping that everything does work out for him i mean at the end of the day no matter how you feel about the mets how you feel about alderson and what 
job he's doing. I mean, he's a human being. He's someone who served for this country. He was a Marine. So you wish him all the best. I just think now for the outlook for the New York Mets, what do I immediately think? I think it's interesting that we have a trio of now three guys that are taking over his post for now for the time being. And I don't know what exactly to expect from these three guys because now moving forward, I mean, I talked about it earlier on my podcast, where the team needs to go. I mean, obviously, Alderson came out the other day and said they're in the middle of a buyer-seller market, which they're not. Yeah, they're definitely not. They need to be sellers. I mean, obviously, there is a, we have plenty of time before this trade deadline at the end of July, but they need to sell. But all of a sudden now the 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 changing of the guard, if you will, changes everything really you don't know what to expect from these three guys how they're going to make their decisions who in their eyes compared to who in sandy's eyes needed to go i just everything the whole the whole landscape of everything changes right now all right before we move on to what these three guys are going to do what do you think of sandy's legacy as mets gm assuming that this is the end of the road for him as the general manager he made it sound very clear like he's not interested in taking the post back even after he recovers Sandy, I mean, over the seven and a half years that he's with the team, I think that this this, and the 2015 year are going to be the legacy that he leaves. I think everyone is now going to remember that. Looking at 2015, looking how close the Mets got, and I think that a lot of it is going to then tail off to the fact that the team tailspun after that and it was I mean we made the wild card game lost to the Giants that year and then after that it was just all down the gutter for me it's this that 2015 year just being a fluke a fluke in the sense that we had the potential to just keep going after that and all of a sudden the team felt like they downgraded they just got worse after that and then obviously they did get worse in 2017 and now this year I just think that everyone's going to remember 2015 and then the downslide after that. Yeah, I feel like after the 2015, it was sort of Murphy's law of this team that everything that could go wrong did go wrong, like letting Daniel Murphy go and then he becomes a superstar, bringing back Jay Bruce after his big year and he's done nothing this year. Any free sign they've made seems to have busted in their face. Now it comes down to the whole trio of John Rico, Armania, and J.P. Ricciardi, which it was, it was interesting to hear Jeff Wilpon say today that the three of them are going to work as a unit right now to try and handle the front office job going forward, which I don't know how that's going to work. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know how that's going to – they'll probably work as a unit because Jeff will be making the decisions and telling them how to exactly – Oh, boy. You know, let it, let it be known to the media that they're actually working as a unit, but I think that's what he means. Yeah, so, I mean, like, technically Rico is the assistant general manager. He's been there for pretty much the entire time, so it'll be interesting to see if – now some of these moves that he makes are going to be on his resume as opposed to Omar's or Richardi's, and you know that brings up an interesting point because last week on the podcast I spoke with John Coppinger about the Mickey Callaway situation, and John made the point that for the first time as as GM, Sandy actually got to pick his guy in Mickey. So as long as Sandy was around, Mickey was going to stay. Now Sandy is likely out of the picture. Do we believe that John Rico is wed to Mickey Callaway? I mean, he said a lot of strange things lately. Yeah. Callaway has come out in the media and said some really, like you said, strange, questionable things. I think that 
it's hard to tell from the outside looking in from our perspective but i mean with the way the media is it's just a complete firestorm right now and really what do you expect sandy uh excuse me what do you expect mickey calloway to say i know that what he's he's what he's saying isn't right it, it's 100 percent not right and i understand where people come from i just don't know in his defense what he's supposed to do when day in day out they're putting out the this product of a team you know we have no bullpen we have no offense and we have good starting pitching it's just there's no recipe for success i feel like there's nothing he can ex- really do i understand he's making bad moves here and there and he's costing us games but i just don't think from the start this team was ever going to go that far i mean i get that he right now he's basically imagining with the equivalent of a triple a roster but I mean, what? How can you defend coming in the, out in the media and say, "Oh, the record doesn't matter right now; it's the process." Like, right? Or like, no, I don't. I'm not defending that. And when he comes out after the bullpen game against the Dodgers and he says, "You know, other than the seven home runs that we allowed, I thought the bullpen looked pretty good." Obviously, I mean that. What? Do, what is that? What do you mean? I think that. Geez, I don't know. I mean, he the guy was under Terry Francona, and Terry Francona is a legend. You 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 would think he would have learned something from him, but again. I mean, what did Frank Cone deal with? The the Boston media was the most trouble that he got. It, New York is a different environment. I think, again, with this literally, like you said, a triple-A roster out there and the fans and the media expecting for this team to, like, continue off of that 11-1 start to the season as if the Mets were going to lose, what, 50 games in the season? You know, I understand, again, the team had – from the beginning, looked very good, but things quickly changed with all the injuries. And again, it's just another, all of that continues to pile on with these injuries. Even with Ray Ramirez out and a new training staff, that is, it's the same old story with the Mets. Once that stuff started happening, you knew the Mets were going to suffer from there on out. But I'm not defending what he said. I understand that he's come out and said some incredibly not smart things. Yeah, yeah, Ray Ramirez is definitely on a beach somewhere, holding like drinking a Corona, laughing about all these Mets injury problems because everybody blamed him and said, "Oh, it's the trainer's the problem. Trainer's gone, and now you have all this stuff coming out about Ramos pitches in spring training with a shoulder injury and nothing happened. Todd Frazier plays for three weeks with a hamstring issue and doesn't go on the DL. The Mets yo like yo-yoed Cespedes in and out of the lineup for a week, and then of course he lands the DL is nowhere to be found. I mean, it just never ends with these injuries. Jay Bruce as well was. They, I don't know what they waited for to put him on the DL. Yeah, he's another one. I don't get why he got to play as long as he did when the hip something was wrong with him. Clearly, I mean, we should all Mets fans should consider themselves blessed that the MRI MRIs on Nimmo came back clean the other day. Yeah, there was, I think there's some sort of cloud around Nimmo as protecting him from the negative energy of this team. But hopefully, it, I mean, at this point, who knows how much longer it's going to last? Right now, the big question surrounding the Mets for these three to figure out the three, the new three of Manaya, Rico, and Richardi is what to do with the trade deadline. Now, do you think that either of them is going to be more open to listening to offers for a Degrom or a Noah Syndergaard to try and rebuild the forces, in which admittedly has gone down down the tank since Sandy took since Sandy uh, all those chips a couple of years ago? I don't think that those guys are going to consider that to be an option. I think that they will market them and try and field offers test the waters on them but again they they got to have the same mindset that everyone else in the organization has where it's you need a significant haul of prospects like can't miss guys that are going to hit and there's no way that these guys even in the Mets system could could get screwed up 
I, I don't think those guys I don't think anyone that is now in the GM's chair in the in the GM's shoes wants to be known now as the guy that gets rid of DeGrom or Noah and that's, yeah. again with the New York media that is going to be the only thing that you're remembered for right, let me toss one hypothetical your way Joe Beningo pitches a WFAN the other day I thought it was interesting let's say the Yankees called up the Mets and said okay we'll give you Clint Frazier We'll give you Brandon Drury, and we're gonna give you Justice Sheffield for Syndergaard. Is that one you think you would consider? I think I consider it, but I still don't think I do it again. I've talked about this before. The Mets are not gonna make a trade with the Yankees. Absolutely not. The Wilpons will never let that happen. But let's say for some- me, for me, I still think that I don't do that. Okay, let's say somebody else. Let's say like. I don't know, let's say Cleveland offered you a similar talent level package. Is that something you consider from them? It's got to be, uh, yeah, it's, it's got to be a similar talent level package. Again, if, if it's Syndergaard or DeGrom, it has to be can't miss prospects. And I think that there's not that many teams out there, first of all, that really need a starter. I mean, you look at like the Dodgers and the Yankees. I think those are two teams that stick out to you and you say these guys need a starting pitcher. I don't think Cleveland's in need of a starting pitcher. I don't think Houston's in need of a starting pitcher. You know that the Red Sox are looking to the bullpen. They were rumored to be looking at Britain. I just think that you, again, if it was the Yankees, you need one of Torres or Andujar. And you need a similar guy like that. Like, I don't even think Francisco Mejia from the Indians would be the guy for Syndergaard. Yeah, so I know, obviously, as far as what Sandy said, they were sellers. I know they were trying to spin from New York, but they were sellers. They're going to end up trading off Familia. They'll trade Cabrera. They will trade probably Blevins if he actually shows some value and doesn't get up two home runs every time he starts an inning. Right, that, that's, that's something that I talked about as well, is those two guys are locks, Familia and Cabrera. The rest of them, I mean, I think you can consider Blevins, Frazier. I think Zach Wheeler also makes a lot of sense for a team starting pitcher. Yeah, I I think even one of Wheeler or Matt's, if, 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 I don't know how Met fans feel about that personally, but I think Matt's even could be an option. I think Matt's could bring back a more significant haul than Wheeler would. I mean, I think that's undeniable. I just don't know if the Mets are willing to part with him. Yeah, my theory with Wheeler is that a he's only making two million bucks this year, so it's not going to be a big issue for them to eat the money, which we learned last year is a problem. B that. He's under control for next season. We should get them a higher return than one of these pending free agents will. And C is just that he's actually pitched well recently. That's a big deal. Agreed, yeah. I think another person that's really interesting that I personally would not want to see go is Seth Lugo. I say personally I don't want to see him go because I really like Lugo. I think he has good stuff, and he's genuinely just a good guy. You know, you kind of – some of these guys on the team, you – grow a liking for and you don't want to see them go like I like Lugo and Gazelman I like Mats and Wheeler can really get under your skin when they pitch <laughs> but but guys like Lugo and Wheeler but you know not Lugo and Gazelman not to get too far off point Lugo is under control until 2020 and he doesn't make a lot of money and he's good yeah so he's another one that I think the Mets are going to market around because that could be a guy that you trade to a team that doesn't need a Noah Syndergaard or doesn't have the the assets for a Noah Syndergaard oh yeah absolutely I mean like at this point other than DeGrom I would listen to deal officer just about everybody and see if I get a good enough return I definitely do it anyone but the young core guys I don't want to see those guys go Conforto Ahmed Nimmo Nimmo obviously you look even further down to 
Alonzo McNeil. Oh yeah, no one's suggesting we trade. They trade off one of those guys, right? Those obviously those are the guys, the young core guys, and even Dominic Smith. Those guys are the ones that they got to keep around. Those are the guys that you got to build around. Focus on those guys and the young starters. I, I I understand if we have to, as a team, get rid of some starters and you can bring back something of value. But I don't like someone like Lugo doesn't need to go. Someone like Wheeler and Mats don't need to go if you're not gonna. It's not a trade for the sake of making a trade, basically. Right. Those aren't guys that you're going to dump. I mean, you're going to dump Cabrera, Familia, guy, older guys like that. You know? We're in their walk years. And that too, right. Yeah. yeah. The, I'm glad you brought the minor league guys up, the Alonzo's and McNeil's, because I want to talk a little about the player development, which seems to be a big problem for this team. Because, I mean, right now we have Ahmed Rosario on a long-term mental break because apparently he wasn't taught the game the right way. And then you had Mickey saying the other day that Don Smith never bunted before in his life. I mean, do you? Um, I don't know how these guys get through the system with not knowing half of the skills they need to be successful big league players. Well, I think, again, that starts from the top down. Is, I mean, that starts with the Wilpons. We, we've read, I think every Met fan now, if you haven't, read that article from the good Fundies guy on Twitter, the one that he put out about the Wilpons and all the things that they've done so wrong and so bad for this organization, one of them being the contact with the minor leagues. It's like... First of all, the team's all the way out in Las Vegas. We don't want to even get started on that. Well, at least they're fixing that next year. They're coming to Syracuse, but that's, they right. screwed up for way too long. Right. I mean, that's been something that has – I think that's something that has really hurt the development of these players. I mean, you look at the guys that came up when the team was in Norfolk. Those guys, I mean, the one that stands out is David Wright. David Wright got plagued by injuries. But think about the impact that he had on the team yeah. from being down in that system. That was run differently, clearly, than what's being run over there in Vegas. First of all, the fact that, like you said, Dom Smith doesn't know how to bunt. And you look at all these guys, it's like no one knows. It's such a simple thing in baseball. I think that's more of the way the game is evolving. And that's why we're seeing where it's, you know, these pitchers can't hit. These pitchers can't even swing a bat without getting hurt. They can't run without getting hurt. These guys are, the major league players are guys that, these are the best players from their town, from from one town in, in the country. You know, so these guys are hitting home runs and they're batting third, hitting home runs and throwing no hitters when they're in high school. You know, they don't get taught to bunt. It's just the way the game's evolving. But I don't see why it's not something that can be still still be taught. I think it obviously it starts at that level. But then if they don't know how to bunt, maybe that's not something that's in your scouting report when you draft these guys, but you find out quickly. It takes Keith Hernandez. He talks about it all the time because he's he's one that you can tell it really clearly bothers him. Yeah, Keith loves his fundies. Yeah, he's a big fundies guy. And you look at him. He said he used to drop down a couple bunts every time of batting practice. What does it take? What? What? How many swings does it take away? Three swings. Yeah, not many. I mean, it's an extra thirty seconds, and they just all they got to do is throw you three extra pitches or put uh, three extra balls into the machine. It's something I know. The player development, I think, a big reason is because it's out there in Vegas. And they've just it maybe coming to Syracuse helps, I hope. You know, a lot of it I think they, they overhaul that staff a lot this year. So hopefully it helps the guys at the Alonzo's and McNeil's of the world. But again, a lot of the problems go back to ownership. We we can go off for another half hour, hour about ownership, and I don't think everybody wants to listen to that, so everyone's right. everyone's heard that a million times already. Oh yeah, so And shares the same feelings. <laughs> All right, before I let you go, you want to give everybody a quick a uh, quick rehash about how to keep track of what's going on with you with the blog and uh, how to follow you on social media? 
Yeah, sure. So on social media, I got my Twitter account. It's at JT2 underscores Clark. So JT underscore underscore Clark. No E at the end of Clark. My blog is linked on, into my Twitter bio. So it's just www.homeofthehurt.wordpress.com. And right when you go to that site, once you go to my site, there's a podcast uh, category up top that you can click on that. And that's where you can find any and all podcasts right now. There's only one, but there will be more in the future. Like I said, follow me on Twitter. You want to see me complain about the – I mean, I'm, if you guys follow Mike on Twitter already, you probably see enough complaining about the Mets. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of that. I, I'll retweet Mike. I'll just retweet Mike a lot of the times because he just says it. what I'm thinking before I can even – tweeted out because i'm probably throwing something watching the game and then i have to go grab my phone mike's already tweeted it out okay that was that was jack clark thanks for coming on again no problem thank you for having me mike all right that was jack clark on the mets stay tuned for our two-minute drill which is coming up right after this And we're back with our two-minute drill. Today, I want to bring you some TV talk, specifically about the show Westworld, which airs on HBO. Westworld just wrapped its second season on June 24th. If you're not watching it, you're missing out. The show is based on a movie from 1973 about a theme park featuring robotic hosts who play characters in a living Wild West fantasy for the human guests. The modern version builds on that theme, creating a well-crafted mystery show from Jonathan Nolan, the brother of well-regarded director Christopher Nolan, and Lisa Joy. If you're a fan of some of the Nolan movies, particularly Memento and The Prestige, which Jonathan worked on, or are a Lost fan, this show is right up your alley. The acting is phenomenal, featuring great performances from series leads Evan Rachel Wood, Andy Newton, and Jeffrey Wright, along with established stars like Anthony Hopkins and Ed Harris. The show is very well written and thought-provoking, with this season focusing on the theme of the true nature of humanity. Now don't get me wrong, this show is some heavy-duty viewing. If you're somebody who likes to be on your phone scrolling through Twitter while you're watching TV, Westworld's not for you. If you're somebody who wants a clean, straightforward narrative when you're watching a show, you're not going to get much out of Westworld. The story can get very complicated, so this isn't a show you can just jump in midstream without being completely lost. My best advice for someone who has heard the Westworld buzz and willing to give it a shot, go find the premiere on demand. You can, anybody can find an HBO Go account. Somebody will give you a password. Go check it out. Watch that one episode. If you're not hooked by the end of that hour, you don't need to keep going. But if you do, I can guarantee you will speed through the 20 episodes in the first two seasons very quickly. It's that good, it's that thought-provoking, and I highly recommend it. And that will do it for today's episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast. I want to thank my guest, Jack Clark, for coming on and chat about the NBA and the state of the Mets. If you want more great content like this podcast, be sure to check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-331. If you made it to the end of today's show, feel free to tweet me with the hashtag GMJeff. Have a good one, folks, and hopefully you're having a better day than Nigerian soccer fans.